welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so excited that you're here. Each week, I invite a girlfriend to join me on the show, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. I want to thank one of our sponsors for this week's show, and it is Kurt Felsman's debut EP, Majesty and Mystery. If you're looking for some more great, meaningful worship these days, then Kurt Felsman is for you. He's a Canadian-born worship leader who now lives in the U.S. with his family. He's been leading people in corporate worship for nearly 20 years, and his heart is to see people experience the goodness and glory of God. Kurt's debut EP, Majesty and Mystery, is both beautifully and biblically crafted for worshipful listening experience. Majesty and Mystery contains a collection of powerful songs designed to be sung. With soaring melodies and beautifully crafted musical elements, Majesty and Mystery will draw you, the listener, your heart into worship. Majesty and Mystery is available on iTunes and all major music retailers. Also, make sure you check out his website, KurtFelsman.com, and follow him on Facebook at Kurt Felsman Music and at KFelsman on Instagram and Twitter. And for the next few weeks, he's going to be giving away copies just for the Happy Hour listeners. So make sure you go follow and then comment, hashtag the Happy Hour, tag a friend. You're not going to miss this, and you're going to want to add this EP to your worship playlist. Guys, today you're listening to episode number 76. And today's guest is one of my favorite children's book authors, Sally Lloyd-Jones. You may know her if you have kids from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I'm just going to tell you right now, if you do not own this children's Bible, you need to get it now. It is the best children's Bible I've ever seen. I say this in my interview to her, but I would cry sometimes at reading this to my children. It's a fabulous gift. It should be, every kid should have one in their home. Anyhow, you can tell I'm a fan. Today on the show, Sally and I chat a lot about the art of writing, and she shares so much wisdom on doing our work with excellence, whatever your art or work might be. I was hugely inspired by her, and I know that you're going to be as well. Before we get to my conversation with Sally, guys, I want to ask a favor of you. If you love listening to this show, I want to ask that if you will rate or review The Happy Hour on iTunes. It is such a big help to the show, and it helps get these episodes in front of new people. So if you could take a minute and do that, it would be amazing for me. Just go to jamieivy.com slash iTunes, rate it, and then leave a review. So many of you have already rated the show and reviewed it, and I just want to say thank you to two of them. This is from, I'm assuming it's Minnesota Mama of Three. It says this, Jamie, I feel like we're college friends who now live in different states. Every episode, I think, this is my favorite one, and then bam, your next happy hour is even better. You are so real, funny, and your guests are filled with wisdom. I've learned so much from these women and you every Wednesday morning. I just cannot wait to get your latest podcast. I did not get in on the live tickets, but I'm going to go to try to come to a future event. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. I I love doing this. I love getting these women in front of you, and I love chatting, and I do hope that you can come to one of my live events. Because, guys, my event is in a couple weeks, and it's sold out. But we're going to do this again, so don't you worry. The next review is from Ashley Dawn 611 She says, Jamie, I'm absolutely in love with your show. I love listening during my daily chores around the house while taking care of my two little ones. It always makes my days go better. My husband can always tell if I've been listening to the happy hour when he comes home from work because I'm chatty and happy. <laughs> Thanks for all you do to make this show great. Blessings, Ash. Ash, I am so glad that the happy hour makes you chatty and happy, and I'm sure your husband is as well. Guys, thanks for those reviews. I'd really appreciate it if you would do that. Okay, guys, here is my conversation with Sally. Hey, Sally, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you, Jamie. It's good to be here. I am so excited about having you on because I'm just going to get this out of the way real quick. I've learned so much about you since I have knew that you were coming on. Mm -hmm. Um, and I am, I am way more intrigued than I was even before. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, so you're an author. Yes. And I think a lot of my listeners will know you from the storybook, the Jesus storybook Bible. Yes, probably. Oh, it is. I'm a mom to four. Oh, how wonderful. And I have vivid memories of my oldest is 12. So I've been reading to them for a long time and have vivid memories of reading the Jesus Storybook Bible and weeping. Mm. I know that I'm not the first person that's ever told that to you. No, no. It's it's sort of one of those things where you, you sort of go, oh, how lovely. And then you go, oh, dear, sorry. And then you think, <laughs> and then I've started to realize, okay, the, the, the truly good sign is if you make grownups cry and children laugh you're on the right track as a children's book writer. But if you, for little children anyway, right. but if it starts swapping around, then that's no good, that's, I think. Then you need to move on to a yeah. different kind of audience. Because I, I always hear 
the poor children are like, what? Why are you crying again? <laughs> and rolling their eyes when the parents start crying. But it, that to me, I love that. It is so true. And so how long ago did you release that book? It came out in 2007, but I was actually writing it in 2004. And it took a while to come out because we had a lot of full starts with illustrators and stuff. You know, there's a lot that goes into a picture book to get it to work. Yeah. And uh, I'm grateful because without Jago, we would not be talking right now. The illustrator, you know, unless the illustrator's right, you, your text doesn't stand a chance. So yeah. I'm very, and I'm very aware of his genius and the fact that he manages to exclude no one with his art. So a little child will love his art. So will an old person. That is so true. It's so beautiful. Did you go through several illustrators before you landed on him? Yes, we had a few, a couple of full starts. And truthfully, I never really liked them. But I was at the beginning of my career as a writer. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have a lot of clout. But fortunately, God worked. You know, my mother says it's like this book was like Moses in the bulrushes. It was only because God protected it that it came out the way yeah. it did. And, and I, I love that because I have a great team at Zondervan. We all work wonderfully together, but we're all aware if God hadn't made it happen, it wouldn't have happened. Isn't that just how... Too many things could have gone wrong. That, you know. Oh, that's so wonderful. And I think about that with so many things in life. Yeah. What made you think, I'm going to take these stories that we've read in the Bible for years, and I'm going to beautifully write them to where children love them and adults love them. Where did this idea come from? Well, I think sometimes the idea, mostly the idea is cleverer than you are. And I sort of, own, I, I really believe the whole book was given to me halfway through researching it. I, I mean, I had a sense of what I wanted to do, uh -huh. but it was really the Holy Spirit where I was doing the book because, you know, I, I'd done um, Bible stories. When I worked in publishing, I would write little, very condensed Bible stories. So I already had that kind of mindset of how can I make a Bible story interesting and very simple. But my imagination caught fire when I was researching the book and I had been listening to tapes about the progress of redemption. I'd been listening to sermons. I'd been writing out notes. And it was literally the day before I was thinking, yeah, I'll do a good job and it'll be great, but I'll move on to the stories I really want to write. Mm -hmm. Because in my limited vision, I thought writing a Bible meant I was writing for people who are Christians. Right. Well, what I didn't realize, and I've always felt called to children really are people who I believe they're just people. They're not churchy or not churchy. They're just children. So mm -hmm. mostly my calling, I think, is to all children. So it's not I'm not really I didn't think, oh, I'm supposed to write for Christians. I thought, no, I'm supposed to write for children who may never come anywhere near a church. Mm -hmm. So in my limited vision, I thought I was writing a book for the church. And it was going to be a book for the church, but it was also, in God's amazing wisdom, he had me writing a book that was going to reach everyone. And so anyway, the day before I was thinking, yeah, I'll do a good job and it'll be good and I'll, I'll move on to these other books that will reach all children. And then the next day, it was like something changed and I went, oh, oh my word, I, I could give this everything and then it would be amazing. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there was no looking back. And at that point, I just... My imagination had caught fire and I just was, my, my vision was to write it in a way that you wouldn't be able to put down. And, and I thought, if C.S. Lewis was writing this, what would he do? And then mm. I, he's a huge influence. So yeah. that was, so I feel like that was God who just kind of raised the bar. Well, it's so turning back. It is so beautifully written and illustrated. We can't leave that out, as you said. And I um, just know so many parents that have, um, I mean, literally, we're instilling the story of Jesus as a redemptor through our children when mm -hmm. we're reading them to bed at night. And it's just it's just the most beautiful thing. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. Well, I love the fact that if you write with the excellence that children deserve, you know, C.S. Lewis was the one who said that there's no book that is good enough for a 10 year old that isn't good enough for a 50 year old. Mm. And if you write with with respect and you work as hard as you should I mean, because writing for children you have a greater responsibility so sh you should really be working harder and if you if you treat children like that and you distill you don't simplify you simplify but that doesn't mean you're simplistic or idiotic mm -hmm. you're distilling you're taking a profound truth and you're making it into you're putting into into words that a young person can understand if you treat them with that kind of respect then the thing that blew us all away was then you're going to reach everyone because excellence is the most inclusive thing. And I think that's why 
it reaches adults, even though none of us had any idea that was what was going to happen. Right. Now, looking back, you think, well, of course God would do it that way because look at how high a view he had of a child. Yeah, it's so true. That makes me think our church right now is working on a, a children's album and we mm. put out great worship all the time and they're in the midst of working on this children's album. And I, I'm happy to say that I think they think about it the same way as you do. Like, let's make something really, really excellent. And we don't yes. need to dumb it down. We don't no. need to do anything. We just need to present them with something excellent. And it's going to reach kids and adults alike. Yes, exactly. Because I think sometimes by writing like that for children or doing the album for children like that, you reach the place, not only do you reach the child, but you reach the child and the adult. And mm. it's that place, I think, that God often wants to reach in us, that we are so defended that we don't let people get there. And I think perhaps by reading the Jesus Storybook Bible, adults were not defended. They were thinking, oh, this is just a children's book. Right. They don't come with all their defenses up. And I, I think maybe that's partly it as well, that we need to be receiving God's love at a, in that place where yeah. we're still children. So this brings me to ask you about this question. I just recently got your new book, The Story of God's Love for You. Yes. But is this kind of, is this just re- branded, re-looking to reach a new audience? Tell me about that. Yes. Well, again, because we didn't really, none of us were clever enough to have thought of this. It just, you know, yeah. we God, just God did it, it all. Yeah. Did it. But we kept hearing from readers, you know, this is being read by theologians in, in seminary classes. It's being read by pastors helping them preach. It's being read in old people's homes. It's being read in China to prostitutes. It's being read in jails. It was just broken out of mm -hmm. all the barriers you would normally put on a children's book. And then people started, London City Mission said, we would love to give this book out to people who may never want to read a book that has the word Bible on it or even the name Jesus on it because we want to share this story of God's love with everyone. And can you do it in an edition that might be cheaper and would, would be more accessible mm -hmm. to an adult who might not feel comfortable reading a children's book? So we, we heard those and we decided that if there was a way to take down every last barrier to hearing the good news... Why wouldn't we make an edition that took away every barrier and called it what it is, which is the story of God's love for you? Because most people think they know what the Bible is about, and it's not good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about how God hates us unless and we're good. And, and laws, yeah. Yeah. And I thought, what about those people that you want to reach who you could never give the Jesus Storybook Bible to? But you could give them a book that is called The Story of God's Love for You. And that's where that book came from. And our hope is that it's a a new title and a new format designed excellently that makes it accessible to everyone. Well, that's exactly what I was feeling when I was reading it. I was just thinking it has the beautiful um, words that you've written before, and it is so easy to see God's love throughout the pages. Mm -hmm. And I was reading it, and I was thinking, this is exactly what I will give away to people that I want to know about God's word, but that they might not want to be handed a Bible. No, because or might not it, even know what to do with the Bible. Well, no, Let's be exactly. honest. <laughs> I mean, in a way, I've done. I've given it to a few people like that, and they look bemused, and and then they're very nice and polite, and they go, "Yes, um, let me think what what child I could give this to." You know? and <laughs> yeah. You think, oh no, I was giving it to you. Right. So this is a way to reach those people who, you know, who might immediately the walls would go up the minute they saw Bible or children's mm -hmm. book or whatever it is. You know. Well, it's beautiful, and I thank you for writing it. Well, I'm so honored and it's so exciting to see the book reach, you know, to all these people. And, you know, it's just, it's such a blessing to Jago and I and to Zondervan and everyone and everyone who prayed me through the whole thing mm -hmm. to see the ways in which God is using this book. And it's in ways we never could have imagined. Mm. And we get to go along for the ride and it's, a, you know. Fun ride. Very, we're very aware of who the author of the book success is, you know, and yeah. we're grateful. That's awesome. So Sally, did you always know that you wanted to write books? Has this something that's been in you forever? Yes, I've always loved writing, but I wasn't quite sure what kind of writing. You know, I, I thought I would write, maybe I'd write a play, maybe I would write poems. And so I wrote awful poems when I was a teenager. Uh -huh. and, um, so I either wanted to be a writer or an actor or maybe both, you know, yeah. I wasn't sure. And then I, what I would do, which makes me crack up every time I'm on an interview like this, I would... <laughs> When I was at my boarding school, when I was eight, I'd hide under my covers and practice for my brilliant careers because I knew one thing. I, knew, I didn't know if I'd be an actor or a writer, but I knew if you were either of those things, you had to be famous. And if you were famous, you were on the radio. Okay. And if you're on the radio, you get interviewed. So I thought, well, I'll practice my interviews and I would practice them 
But I, of course, I wouldn't know the answers to anything, so I could only do the in-between bits. So, you know, it'd be something like, yes, yes, I think that's very interesting that you should ask me that question. <laughs> and then I'd do a special interview laughing. And uh -huh. So, yes, I've always had this dream and was practicing for this kind of thing back when I was eight. That is hilarious. You were practicing for this moment on the happy hour right now. <laughs> <laughs> you and what's so, what I love about that, and I, I share that story with parents as well, especially, so they know to, to listen to their children because these dreams are kind of crazy sounding, an eight-year-old under the sheets practicing her interviews. But clearly, God had already kind of caught, you know, I'd already mm -hmm. been called. I didn't know it. But that desire in my heart, that was from him. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of wonderful to think an eight-year-old knew. I mean, it took me a long time to get around to realizing that. You right, know? yeah. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. So boarding school, where did you live when you were in boarding school? So my parents were living in Africa, and the schools out there were, they may have been good, but they weren't good for me. Mm -hmm. I went to an international school, and I was too dreamy of a child, and I was getting left behind. So they had this impossible decision of, do we leave her in that school, or do we, and she doesn't thrive. And I already was not really, I mean, I, I was too dreamy and, you know, all in my, staring out of the window and not really academically excelling at that point mm -hmm. and terrible speller and everything like that so I wasn't doing anything very well in that sense even though I could write stories so they thought well we we can't have her thinking she's stupid we have to you know send her to a school that's going to really where she can thrive and so that's where they sent me to boarding school in the new forest in England and it was the most wonderful ahead of its time sort of school because it celebrated imagination so much and it was just the right school for me and I was there from when I was eight to when I was 12. Wow so where in Africa were your parents living? So they were living at that time in Freetown Sierra Leone. Okay and and what uh, were they doing there? So my dad was working for Shell. Okay and um, yeah so I would go out in the holidays. Uh-huh uh, and then state your where are your parents originally from? So my dad's Welsh. Okay. Named Lloyd-Jones and my mum is from London and Right, you know, they live in near, near London now, but they, I was born in Kampala, Uganda. I so, saw that. And they that were, they were working there? Yes, my dad was working there, and I was born in a missionary hospital, Mengo Missionary Hospital, and um, they weren't believers at that time, but um, I was a C-section, and the, the surgeon and the nurses prayed over me before they operated. And, I, and my parents sort of joked about it, like, well, how good are they if they have to pray before they right. <laughs> But it, it really spoke to them because that is a story they still tell and they're believers now. But I love the idea that, uh, they, that you know, doctors were praying over me before I was born. Wow. I mean, that's so beautiful, isn't it? It's and, so beautiful. It really is. And then how did your parents come to know the Lord? So they came to know the Lord through John Stott's ministry. 
And my dad was at a John, a John Stott, I guess he was visiting the University of Nairobi and he spoke at the University of Nairobi and he, my dad wasn't meant to go, but the colleague at Shell who really influenced my father, he was a wonderful believer and my dad, you know, he took notice of him. And he at the last minute said, oh, I've got these tickets to this, this um, event at the university, but my friends have fallen through and so I don't, and my dad said, well, I'll go with you. So he went and it was at that event that he first heard the gospel, even though he'd grown up going to church and mm -hmm. he, that's where he became a Christian. Wow. And then my mom became a Christian six months later through John Stott's book, Basic Christianity. So praying the prayer in the back of the book. That is amazing. Isn't it? So we owe a lot to John Stott. Okay. So I'm going to be honest. When I hear about kids going to boarding school, I don't really understand um, what that felt like as an eight-year-old. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Did what you? I, yeah, it's a great question because I used to think when I was in my twenties or something, well, that's the reason for all my problems. Problem <laughs> right? It was all my parents' fault. Well, of course, that's always what you do when you're in your twenties. Of course, you do. <laughs> and then you and, grow up, and, you and then you grow up, adult. and you, you're so grateful because you start to see God's hand in it. And it's yes. You know, and I look at it now, and I think, yes, at the time. What was really hard for me as an eight-year-old was the transition. I hated saying goodbye. I was, you know, I'd just make mm -hmm. myself ill. And I, I, mean, I think it was worse for my mother. I hated that. That was, I would dread it. But once I was at the school, children are like this. They're resilient, aren't they? they once are. I was at the school, I was fine. And then when I went to holidays, then that was fine. But I always had a transition period of like a few days where I wasn't quite sure what, what was happening. And I think, looking back, I think I just couldn't make sense of why was I, it, there was a deep sense of why was I being sent away? Mm. But the Lord's used all of that. You know, I think um, someone said to me, um, you need to be transplanted from one culture to another culture in your childhood. That makes you a writer. Well, that happened to me. I don't know if this is true, but it's interesting. I was transplanted from Africa to England, back to Africa. Yeah. I also, they say you have to have a deep wound in childhood. And I think for me, being sent away was a very deep wound, even though it was God's, God's doing, mm -hmm. and it was redemptive, and absolutely I wouldn't change it. It still was there. It was there, and I think all of that has gone into what makes me be able to do what God's called me to do. So it's his equipping and his hand, and I look now on that school as an incredible gift because my childhood is so vivid to me, and that school especially. So... It's, you know, I think what's lovely now is I've grown up out of my, oh, everything's your fault, parents, uh -huh. <laughs> to, to thanking them for sending me to that school. And, I, and when I thanked my mother, it was very poignant because I saw how much guilt she must be carrying. Mm. And yet she doesn't need to carry any guilt. She yeah. had an impossible, impossible situation. Right. And I think what she did and, and her sacrifice, that's something I think the Lord looks very favorably on. And I'm sure that that, I mean, like you said, that was not just a flippant decision that your parents made. No, it cost them, you know, a lot in terms of, you know, my mother's grief. Mm -hmm. And um, even the fact that they live in England and I live in America, I, I, I think of them as very generous people. That's because amazing. I left England when I was in my 20s and they could easily have raised an eyebrow and I wouldn't have come. Mm. I didn't know I was coming for as long as I've come. Yeah. Did you know you were coming forever? No, <laughs> I thought I was coming for a year. What did you come for? So I saw a job. I was working in publishing because I wasn't thinking I was good enough to write. So I was working in children's books in London. And I saw a job adv advertised in the bookseller in London. And it said, senior editor, Joshua Morris Publishing in Connecticut. And I thought, oh, that sounds so old-fashioned and lovely. And I don't know. I've never been to America, but my parents love America. They've been lots of times. Maybe I should just try it. Mm -hmm. And I also thought, Okay, if I don't go, this is how the story goes. I'll say to my grandchildren one day, um, once upon a time, I almost went to America, the end. <laughs> and I thought, well, what? you can't do that. You have to at least try. And if it's no good, you can come back. So I gave myself a, a year. I didn't take anything too seriously for a year. Like if I felt unhappy, I didn't. I just thought, okay, well, it's a year. Yeah. a year before I'm allowed to leave. Mm -hmm. But of course, by the time a year had gone by. I'd made all these wonderful friends. I was having a blast. I loved it. So I kept staying. And then you've never gone back. I mean, to live. No. I mean, I never know what's going to happen next. But for now, New York is my home. And I get back to England three times a year. Um, 
and I have, you know, it's hard, but then I think, well, the point of what we're up to right now is not coziness and comfort and safety. It's about we only have a limited time to do what God's given us to do, and we have eternity to not miss out on anything. Mm. We only have, someone described it as, we only have now before the Red Sea parts. Now is the time we can really honor him before. But once once we're in heaven and everything, we won't be able to do that the same way because we're, we're by faith, not sight right now. Mm-hmm. So, so, you're, so you're here doing it now. Yeah, I feel like a, a friend of ours, a family friend prayed for me and said, we pray for Sally and her assignment in New York. And that helps me a lot because I think, okay, if I was employed by the New York Times, I wouldn't question. I would say, okay, this is my job. I've been assigned here. This is my job. Yeah. And that's sort of where I, I end up. I think, Lord, this is where you have me right now. I love it. And you show me. It's up to you. You know, it's but I'm ass- available. It's your assignment for right now. Yes, I, I like that. It takes the pressure off, doesn't it? It does. So you've been writing for a long time. Do you ever still write something, put it out there, show it to, you know, those first couple people that see it? Does that, is that still a scary moment for you? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, people do, people who think that, I always say this to people who want to write and who are writing and haven't been published yet. They think it's going to get easier and it just isn't. In some ways it gets harder and you're only as good as your latest book and mm-hmm. every manuscript you write, you feel like one minute you think it's great, the next minute you think it's rubbish. And when you send it into the editor, you're always terrified they're going to say, well, how interesting. <laughs> good, I thought you were try. good at it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you get that, you know, you get, you get rejected. I get rejected. I get... But what you want is an editor that will, everyone needs an editor. And I'm grateful for my editors who reject my manuscripts mm. because they want the best. They want you to bring out what they know you can do. Exactly. And, and they, if they don't reject it, then they come back and they say, and it's rare that they completely reject it. Mm-hmm. But they, don't, they usually come back with lots of comments. And if you can't think of a way to fix it, then that's sort of rejected. Yeah, but the most end. of the time, they take the time to say, well, this works and that works, but I wonder this and that. And then... You you end up doing your best work because it's a partnership, and I'm sure that it. Even though you know this, it's still scary, and you still take it and go, "Okay, it's okay. They're not being mean." That's how I feel sometimes when I oh, get. Oh yes, I know because I I usually know now I'm going to have a tantrum when I <laughs> get the feedback. I'm going to have a complete meltdown and say, "See, she hates me. That editor completely doesn't like me at all. He really can't stand me. I'm no good." And I know that's going to last. I'm going to hate every comment. I'll be like, I really hate them. They just don't know what they're talking about. And then after about three days, I calm down. And after a week, then I can go back and look at it and actually go, oh, oh, they don't hate it. Right. Because you've got this crazy expectation that unless they come back to you on your first draft saying, do you know what? This is the best book I've ever read. Let's mm. publish it without any changes. You think if you don't get that, that it's all hope. That it's all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. But anyone who's a writer knows that's what you are. You're slightly insane. Slightly insane. Oh. <laughs> so I, I have a question for you. I think that there's people listening that like they love writing. They love telling stories. Do you have like any just personal advice that you would give them? Oh, sure. In fact, I'm, my, I, I'm actually working on a blog right now, my sort of t- t- top 10 tips for people because mm-hmm. I get asked this a lot. But yeah, one of them I would say is write the best book that you can write. And don't be worrying about agents and contracts and publishers and anything like that because in a way that's where people sort of trip themselves up because they've skipped the most important thing. The most important thing is you have to write the best book. And if it's really good, it's it's not going to be a problem. But if you don't write the best book, then no matter how good your agent or or all your research will come to nothing. Mm. So I think people, you know, it's that same thing as, um, Madeline Lengel said she would write a poem and then leave it in a drawer to cool off. Hmm. And I do that with picture books. You know, I write um, quite a lot of picture books and they're like poems and they may be only 500 words or 800 words and I'll write a draft and if I, if I look at it that day, I'll think, this is really amazing. I'm going to send it straight in. Mm-hmm. But I've learned that's the worst possible thing because if you leave it overnight and you come back to it in the morning, or even if you print it off your computer versus reading it on your computer, mm-hmm. you'll suddenly think, this is awful. What was I thinking? <laughs> so you, you kind of have to, what I do with picture books, they may take me a whole year of leaving them, coming back to them, leaving them. And 
I try and get enough space between my writing so that I can almost come at my own text like an editor. Oh, yeah. The distance of like a month. Mm -hmm. See it with fresh eyes. Yeah. And and the other thing is don't be sending it to your favorite people who are your best friends or your grandmother. Because they're going to tell you this is the best thing you've ever done. I almost, I hate to say it, you can't even really... I hate to say this, but I think it's true. If you're going to test it on children, you can't test it on your own children. Yeah. They love you and uh-huh. they love your voice and they're going to love anything. They love being with you. Now, that, of course, that's not always true and you hear the exceptions. But I'd say the best children to test it on are people who, children that are not your children, hmm. who Can don't you, know you, because then you're really testing the story. Yeah. Do you run your, te- do you run your um, stuff through kids? I do. I mean, a lot of my ideas, you know, they'll come from kids or... You know, like the first beginning of a book can come from it. Like one time I was standing on the corner of, um, in my neighborhood in New York at the light and a little girl on her dad's shoulder, I heard her say, a girl is a daughter and a boy is a son. And my ears perked up and I thought, oh, that's the beginning of a book. Wow. And sure enough, it became my picture book at the house that's your home that's all about belonging and having a place and a name and a home and a family. And so that came... And I always trust the idea I get from a, the mouth of a child because then it keeps you honest because that's the voice, right? That's, yeah, that's who's so that, saying it. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. your audience. And, but other times, you know, like I've written a book, I've been working on some manuscripts um, in the last couple of weeks that are very funny. Um, you know, one of them is just completely madcap adventure. And I had to come up with a funny name for a cupcake and my sister's a teacher in England. She teaches seven-year-old boys. So I, I send her the manuscript and I say, please try this out on your boys and tell me how it works. And can they come up with better names? And what, you know, so I'll, uh-huh. use them. I'll do stuff like that. Oh, that or is... I'll go into schools and try it out. I think that, that's very important. That is so wonderful. Hey, guys, before we get back to my interview with Sally, I first want to talk about my friends at Pine Cove Camps. We've been personally sending our kids there for years now in the summer, and we love the way that Pine Cove is so intentional with who they hire to invest in our kids. The counselors at Pine Cove come from all over the nation, and they are so in love with Jesus. Campers love the fun activities at camp, like giant water slides and ropes courses and horseback riding, but they also get a great opportunity to grow in Christ. There's always something about getting away that really lets God impact our hearts. As a mom, I love getting to send my kids somewhere seriously safe and seriously fun. You can find out more information about Pine Cove on their website at pinecove.com. And now back to my conversation with Sally. Um, so you're working on that. Anything that you are working on that is coming out soon that you could tell us about? Oh, I'd love to tell you Oh, I can't wait. It's very dangerous, isn't it? So, yes. <laughs> so the, from the sublime to the ridiculous, my next book out is called Skip to the Loo, My Darling, a potty book. A potty book. So it's for potty trainees everywhere to make potty training not such a drudge but a party. And it's really fun and it's all in rhyme and it's um, illustrated, best thing of all, it's illustrated by Anita Jaram who illustrated Guess How Much I Love You. Mm -hmm. And it's the most adorable bunny. So the idea of it is just to include the child in a very sweet, because I thought, you know, why is that? I didn't understand that, that song, Skip to the Loo. What does it mean? And then I thought, no, I think the original was Skip to the Loo, L-O-O. And it's a potty book. And so it starts off with, you know, Bunny wants his potty. What will Bunny do? Only one thing for it. Skip to the loo. Come on, everybody. Look who else is skipping to. And then it goes off and there's a whole cast of characters skipping to the loo. Okay, so I have a question. (laughs) And I just may be the only one wondering (laughs) this. Loo, what does that mean? L-O-O. So it means toilet. That's and what I, I thought. I'm on a mission like, to convert like... <laughs> all the people in America to know that that's what that means. But funnily enough, no one really doesn't know. Everyone kind of knows. It's like you think it and then you go, but wait, is it? Yes. Yes. So yeah, I'm going to educate everyone. So that one comes out in a month's time and I'm excited for that. And then, and that's a beautifully illustrated. And again, the illustration is so important. Mm. And then the other one coming out a month after that, because you have no control as a as a writer when your books come out and they're from different publishers. Okay. So the other one is called Baby Wren and the Great Gift and it's about a little wren finding her place in the world because she's very tiny and she's in this big canyon and she sees all these beautiful, she sees the beautiful kingfisher diving and she sees the sunfish swimming and the eagle soaring and she doesn't know what is wonderful that she can do. They're also wonderful. Well, what can she do that's wonderful? And it's, it's sort of about gratitude. 
So that's, that was going to, I was going to ask you about that. You said this is about gratitude. Do you take, um, I mean, besides the skip to the loo, we've got a theme there, but do you look <laughs> at your books and do you think to yourself, do you come up first with like, what do I want this theme to be for this children's book? Or do you come up with a story first? I usually, I usually try and start from the thing that moves me. So for instance, um, with that book, um, the house that's your home. Uh huh. First line is what got my heart. Okay. And, and it gave me the DNA for the whole book because it, the first two lines of a poem give you the DNA of the whole poem. And it kind of, so I trust the thing that moves me. And the thing with the wren, the thing that moved me is this tiny bird with this huge song. Mm. And it's that that started me off. And I thought, how do I, so if you, I think the key is to start from writing, that's the other tip is to write the book that only you can write, which by which I mean, Trust that if it moves you, then it's something you need to write. Mm. And, you know, people are very generous and come up to me and give me ideas for books, which is so kind of them. But I, my response, and they never like it, but it's always, <laughs> they know it's right. They say, I've got this idea for you, it's this, and they're so enthusiastic. And you, I look at them and I listen and I smile and I go, well, then I think you need to write it. Mm. Because mm -hmm. the truth is, it has to come from that enthusiasm. It has to come from a deep place to be true. Or it's fake, um, Yeah. Yeah, and I think there are, unfortunately, there are a lot of fake, sentimental children's books that are not coming from that place. They're coming from something else, from a marketing standpoint. Or, right. And they, they may do well, and, but I don't know that they're going to be here in 100 years. Ah, oh, that's good. Because children yeah. will know the test of that for sure. I think so. And I, I just think the most important thing is to tell the truth, however you tell it. And, and you can tell it in a Bible story like I did in the Jesus Storybook Bible, or you can tell it and skip to the loo, which has no Bible verse, mm -hmm. is not overtly anything, but it's coming from a place of joy. And to help a little one not be scared of their potty, mm. well, that's something good. And that's something um, honoring and truthful, isn't it? Yeah. Just as much as telling the story of the prodigal son. So mm -hmm. I look at all of it as redemptive, really. You know, it's like um, sin has unraveled the fabric of the world and art is one of the ways that we reweave, hmm. however we do it. Whatever however, your art is. Yes, and I think as Christians, it's good for us to support art, whether it has a Bible verse on it or not. I love that. That is so true. It is so true. So that brings me to this. I want to know about your musical career. <laughs> Speaking of art. Oh, I know. Isn't that funny? Well, I, you know, the first time I realized I had a connection in Nashville was I was invited to speak at Andrew Peterson's writers conference called mm -hmm. Hutchmoot and I was so honored and he had you know reached out to me before because he'd used the beginning of the Jesus story with Bible in one of his albums the behold the lamb of god and in every Love concert that album by the way oh it's beautiful mm -hmm. and in every concert that he does of that album he reads from the introduction so I'd known about him and then he invited me and I was so honored and I got up to to give the talk I was going to give and before I even opened my mouth I had a standing ovation and it was the most moving thing because I hadn't really had that from fellow artists mm. I hadn't realized and it was the it was I was welcomed with open arms and it's been such a huge blessing I have so many wonderful friends and it's made me realize what a children's book writer especially picture books where you're working in with image and word and what a songwriter who's working with music mm -hmm. and word mm -hmm. you're doing the very similar thing because you're both distilling the story down and you're lyrical and you're finding ways to say things the simplest way in the shortest time yeah and so now it makes sense that we have this connection and since then I've been in his concert every year I get to play the Ryman I mean goodness knows what on earth am I doing at the Ryman we know it's <laughs> like I, I look at it and I think Lord only you could do this you know I'm right. here, where Johnny Cash was and Elvis and then this Christmas so I was in Carnegie Hall reading with along with the Gettys and then John Patitucci who's this incredible bass player and I just was in awe of what, how God does these things. And, it, and I think what I, and what was so lovely was I would read, I was reading a piece from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Meanwhile, John Patitucci, who someone described as one of the top five classical bass players in the world, mm -hmm. and the four other ones are dead. Wow. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. And he was the most humble, wonderful Christian guy. And he's accompanying me, plucking while I'm reading. And I just thought, isn't that so exciting? Like, and he said, it's like you're making a movie. 
because mm. he's doing the soundtrack, I'm doing the words, mm -hmm. and the movie's made in the mind of the re of the audience. So, and then earlier in the year, I did a concert with Amy Grant and Ashley Cleveland. Wow. So I just, it's been so much fun. And the thing that blows me away is I feel just as at home doing that as I am writing mm. and circling all the way back to what my dream was as a child. Exactly. Under your bed. <laughs> I wanted to be an actor or a writer or both. And uh -huh. clearly part of the joy of this is that I do, I don't find it scary to be in front of people mm -hmm. and I can be quite funny. So it's kind of like, oh, I'm getting to do both. And isn't that amazing? Right. How God did that. And it's so you're reading experts, excerpts from Jesus Storbrook Bible? That or um, actually mostly the thing I've read this um, the house that's your home because that's like a okay. poem that works for everyone, mm -hmm. and then the, I've also read excerpts from Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing, which is the follow up to the Jesus Storybook Bible. Okay, yes, I and remember that. A hundred and one thoughts, and they're very short and very um, succinct, and they work really well in performance like mm -hmm. that because they're very they maybe take a minute for me to read, and in between the songs, you know, it's just. Beautiful, it works really yeah. well. And I love, what's so lovely is to be able to, you work really hard to write it so that it lands and it's as short as it can be. And then the joy of being able to actually read it to people is really wonderful. I'm sure. And they, we had children and adults. and I'm that. sure it's just really exciting as an artist to be able to see your art being used in a way that you might not have ever dreamed it would have been used. I mean, you, you, your art is writing. Yes, and I so know. then you get to stand up and actually verbally read it and have people moved, yes, if it's not a in a different job. way, a little bit. Yes, and the other thing you realize is reading to adults, people. I think we need to be read to, and mm. we get so grown up that we don't get read to. And so when I read to adults, that's when you, you know, I sometimes I'll go and talk about storytelling and reaching children and and all that, and how I wrote the Jesus Story Bible, and then I'll read excerpts within my talk. The time when people, you can hear a pin drop is unfailingly you're when you're reading a story. Yeah. Well, I could listen to you read me a story all day long, Sally. <laughs> so there's that too. Well, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, it's one thing to read a few of them, but I was there when David Suchet and anyone who knows who he is, he's Agatha Christie's Poirot. He's this incredible Shakespearean actor in England, lovely believer. And I, I made sure that I, I, I say I happened to be in the studio when he was recording the Jesus Storybook Bible mm -hmm. and Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. But, of course, I made sure I was there. Yes. <laughs> and seeing a master like that, he, he read the whole book in a, in a day, which is incredible. Like I, I once tried to write, read some verses for Randall Goodgame for his Slugs and Bugs. Uh-huh. And it took me half, like, I, I had maybe three verses, and it took me all afternoon. I and know. I realized... <laughs> And then the reason to tell you this is David Suchet, who was reading, and the producer said, David, would you mind reading that bit again? Because it, I'd like you to go up at the end. And David said, well, I, I knew you'd say that, but if I go up at the end, I'll sound like a cow. But I'll do it, and you'll see. And so he did it, going up at the end, and he did sound he like, sounded like a cow. A, a cow, C-O-W. <laughs> and so we all laughed. And then he said something I won't forget. He said, you see, I need to make it go down to earn the pause that I need for the next bit. And then I realized he had planned that whole book down to that kind of detail. And because he's such a master, we'd been lulled into thinking he was just reading, telling a story. But, you know, that's I love seeing someone who's so excellent at what they do. Even, I mean, even think. to think about that, the excellence of reading a book. Yes. That there was so much thought into it to know that I needed to go down to make the next point. Yeah. And the thing I think that's really startling about that is if a master, even a master, and that's his job and he's one of the best in the world, if he can do that, if he has to prepare like that, mm. what makes me think that I can stand up in front of a child and read a book I never read before? And yet, that's what we do. Wow. Now, that's not true of in the home and, you know, but sometimes I think it, it really makes you stand back and think, yeah, we have to really check that we're we're really treating children the way we would treat adults hmm. and that that goes into i love that you're talking about that because when you talk about putting excellence with children you know it makes you think of anyone in the world that does anything with kids whether that's be they're a nurse at a pediatric office or they're you know a yeah. dentist or they're a sunday school teacher or a teacher or a parent all of it is just like, are we coming to our kids with excellence or, or are we coming to them with just whatever's left over because we think they're kids? 
I know. And, and of course, the most important thing is no condemnation and, you know, excellence, not perfection, because I get all tripped up by that sometimes. Yeah. And it's oh. not about being doing it perfectly. I don't think there is such a thing for any of us because we're not perfect. But we can be excellent. So like the temptation for me is at the end of a book when I'm signing off and I'm, it's going to be printed, I can go through it and feel completely obsessed with, oh, but it's not perfect. Mm. And a friend of mine said, but is it excellent? And if you can say it's excellent, then, it's, then you send it off. That's and that's good. read me. And I share that because I'm sure there are lots of mothers out there mm-hmm. who beat themselves up because they weren't the sort of perfect mother that they think they should be. But to me, if you were, it wouldn't help your children because they'd never learn about how you say sorry, how you're mm-hmm. broken, how that's where the How real... much we need Jesus. Exactly. We can't, we're not the rescuer. Uh-huh. And we're all part of the fall and we're all going to mess up. But thank goodness it's not all up to us, you know. Thank goodness, indeed. Yes. Um, Okay, Sally, I always like to ask my guests two questions. Number one is, what are you reading? And number two, what are three things you're loving these days? And so you pick where you want to start. Oh, well, what I'm reading is Olive Ketteridge, which won the Pulitzer. And I just came across it this weekend. And it's just beautifully written. I can see why it won the Pulitzer. It's about this woman, Olive Ketteridge, and her place in different people's lives. So it's sort of like a book of short stories, but mm-hmm. she's the running thread in all of them. Mm-hmm. But it's just brilliantly written, very That's, lean and powerful. That's awesome. I'm going to assume that you're a, a vivid reader. Am I right? I go in and out. I always love reading nonfiction. Okay. And sometimes I'm not reading fiction, but I the excuse I give is that, oh, well, you can't. If you're writing fiction, you can't read fiction. I don't know if that's really true. I but. was going to ask, is this true or not? <laughs> well, what I love are films. Films I go mad on. So I see a lot of films and they kind of work. So if I've been all day writing, I don't always feel like reading, Mm -hmm. but I will always feel like going to a movie. So what's the last movie you've seen? So that leads me to to one of the next. Oh, the three things you're loving. Is Brooklyn. If anyone hasn't seen Brooklyn, I think that's one of those movies that in some ways it's the story, my story, and it's about a woman coming from Ireland to America in the 50s. It's just beautifully done. So that one, I, I loving that. The other thing I'm loving, which is crazy, but I'm mad on it, is avocado toast. But I'm sure I'm way behind the curve. Okay, tell me, just toast with avocado? But you have to have lemon and you have to have cumin and you have to have chili peppers oh and gosh. pepper. And it's delicious. And it, I've, I've been having those in cafes and I'm making it myself now. That sounds amazing. And it doesn't help that it's like lunchtime for me. I know. So, right? <laughs> and then this, this is just because I'm in it, doing it. And I don't want to sound sort of holier than thou or super Christian woman because I've never done this before, but a group of my uh, friends of, and me are doing the 90-day Bible. Oh. And because we're doing it as a group, you're kind of accountable. Mm-hmm. So you can't, and you know that, and it's 12, you read 12 pages a day and you get through the Bible in three months. And, and this I've is never, your first time to do this? Yes. So how long are you into it? We've, we're like on day 25. Okay. So we're in Kings. And it's and amazing. Does it go and chronological then, or just yes, straight old the, to new? And that's what I'm loving is learning, just reading it. And of course, you, you know, you can get bogged down in Leviticus and all these instructions mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. genealogies and stuff. But the incredible thing about it is over and over again is the emphasis. It's just not our doing. It's God. It's mm-hmm. always God rescuing, forgiving, guiding, leading, giving them everything. And they keep forgetting. And so it's been really wonderful. And it was a friend who inspired me to do it because she said doing it will change how every morning you're sort of soaking yourself in scripture. Mm. So it's been really good. So I recommend those three things, avocado, Brooklyn, and 90 day Bible. That those are like some of my best three things <laughs> mentioned by someone because they just scan the whole yes. spectrum food. of life. <laughs> yes. They, everything, food, movies, and church. Yeah, exactly. Those are some of my favorite things. So that's a really good thing well, as they're well. Great questions. They're really great questions. And the other thing to say is you're only as good as your interviewer because, and you're a very good one because sometimes you get interviewed by people who ask you the same question in different words, and you're, you're too polite to say, well, you just asked me that, so you end up looking like a fool because you keep... Saying the same thing over and over again? Yes. It's awful. So oh. you're a very good one. You don't make me feel like that at all. Well, thank you so much. It's been a huge honor to talk with you because I'm a, I'm a fan of your work. So I'm a fan of your art. Thank you for what you do. Well, thank you. And I will tell you, um, on a personal level, you, you don't even know this, but you have greatly encouraged me today because I am actually flying out today... Um, to um, sign with an agent to write my first book. And so 
How exciting. Yeah, it's it's very ex- – I have all the feelings. Like one minute I'm excited, the next minute I want to cry and throw up and just, you know. Oh, that's so thrilling. And especially that you have to fly out to sign it. That's extremely exciting. Well, it is exciting. I, I could have signed it here, but she's already bringing me out. Whatever. Long story. It's just I've been having something in me to write for a while, and I think it's going to come out. So. Oh, that's very thrilling. And so you can't really say too much about it because it hasn't been, that's the other thing you don't want to talk about too much before you write it. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, exactly. I haven't. It's just a lot about my story and about God rescuing me. (laughs) It's the theme of our conversation today. Oh, well, I can't wait to read it. Well, thank you so much. I'll make sure that you can. You know, because it's like, it's like taking the risk, but really what risk, the greater risk is not to take the risk. Mm, That's so, and that's kind of where I'm feeling. And I feel that tension of like, I, the the comfortable thing is to just always have this dream and not do it because it's hard. Mm, yeah. Um, but the harder thing is to step yes. out and do it. Well, the harder thing might even be the opposite. It might be to get to the end of your life and never have done, never have tried. Mm, like I would get to the end of my life and say I to my grandkids, I almost wrote a book and then I did it. Yes, I think it's the same thing. And that's where I come down to is I think, you know, when I first started writing in 2000 full time, the really, the, it was the same thing. I was like, well, if I don't find out now if I can do it or not, when am I ever going to do it? I better right, just do it. Yeah. Better, you get so sick of not trying. So uh, I'm excited for you. Well, thank you. And so you have been an encouragement to, to me as well. Oh, you so didn't glad. even know it. Oh, well, I'm so glad. Well, I think that's the whole point, isn't it? We're all meant to encourage each other because we've all been helped by other people. So true. So true. Sally, thank you for your work. Thank you for loving Jesus like you do. And thank you for sharing your art with us. Well, I'm really grateful for friends like you who support and encourage and cheer on. It's wonderful. Guys, did you not love Sally? I loved hearing how much she values excellency in crafting her art. And I, I must admit, I was a tad bit nervous to chat with her because I just love her work. But sure enough, she's just this normal person, just like you and I, with a fabulous accent. And I think I could have listened to her tell stories for hours. And then she went off and complimented the heck out of me. And so I just was like on cloud nine for a couple hours. Anyhow, I'm going to put all of her books over at um, where I put all the books that are on the happy hour. It's at jamieivy.com slash happy hour books. So if you're interested in some of her new books that are coming out, the Jesus Storybook Bible, they're all going to be there for you to get. And they make great gifts. Check those out for sure. Before we go, I want to tell you about another sponsor for this week's episode, which is Prep Dish. We've been talking about Prep Dish for a while because we are loving what they do. Prep Dish is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. How many of us need someone to plan our meals for us? And Prep Dish makes them healthy. So every week you're going to receive an email that contains a grocery list plus instructions for, pre- for preparing your meals ahead of time. So they do all the work for you guys. So then you're going to take two to three hours to prep your meals whenever you want. Sunday afternoon, Tuesday morning, Friday night, I don't know, whatever that works for you. And then you have meals ready for the rest of the week. Can we say thank you for this convenience? Prep Dish is your answer to what's for dinner that happens to all of us around like 4.30 in the afternoon. Right now, Allison, the chef at Prep Dish, is offering you Happy Hour listeners a special rate of $4 for the first month. That means you can try out Prep Dish, and you're going to love it, I guarantee it. And you get it for $4 for the first month, and then it's a dollar for a weekly meal plan that month. Isn't that amazing? Visit prepdish.com slash happy hour and use the code happy hour if you need it and start today with your healthy meal planning. Guys, remember everything we chatted about is going to be up my website, jamieivy.com, and I'd love to hear from you. I love hearing from you about what you love about the show. You can tell me what you don't like, but I really like hearing what you do like. On Twitter, I'm at jamie underscore ivy. On Instagram, I'm just at jamie ivy. Facebook, I'm over there. Share something you love. Today's show was edited by Knox McCoy, and the music is from Jason Poe. Next week's guest is a kind of a surprise right now. Not to me. I just haven't decided who's going to come up next week. But you'll know when you hear it, so there's that. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend and have a happy hour with a friend, and I would love it if you would rate or review us on iTunes. Thanks, guys. See you next week. Mm-hmm.